you don't just pray. There are people who all the time who say pray, and I'm not against prayer. I am a praying person. But you got to move your feet. Yes. So not just pray, but move <laughs> your feet. I think this is a time. Yeah. You have to be mindful, prayerful, meditative. You have to calm yourself. But you also need to be thinking about, you know, what can I do? You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator, working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And in this week's episode, we have Rhonda McLean sitting in the guest chair and another amazing woman who has given so much. She used to be the Deputy General Counsel of Time Inc., the global publishing company that includes supporting Time, Fortune, Sports Illustrated people and Essence magazines around giving them legal counsel. And she is sitting in the guest chair and you are going to love her. You are going to love her. I met her at a conference a couple of years ago and she was speaking. And as she spoke, I was like, I need her on my get on my show. Absolutely. I was so inspired by her and the work that she continues to do in her charitable work, her philanthropy with her compassion, her humility and her love to give is what I think is one of the things that you'll really get from this interview. So I'm excited about her being with me this week on this week's episode. And of course, we talk about, we have a moment talking about Corona. I know that some people might be like, are you still talking about Corona? I can't not. I can't not. That's, there's got to be something about it because it is what we're doing. And to, for me to not do it feels like disingenuous it feels like it feels like not being in contact with reality if we don't reference it at all that's what it feels like to me I want us to always be thinking about like how are we doing and how we're responding the more present we are the more we're going to get through this in a powerful and empowering and way that we can get out in with our mental state more intact that's what i believe and 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 see where what strength we can gain from it versus ignoring that is happening i don't i that isn't my approach so i just wanted to address that because i know that there was um some people are not addressing it and some people are not mentioning it on their podcast and i don't I, i'm just not one of those people okay let me tell you a bit more about ronda now ronda as i said she's currently the ceo of her own company, RJM Leads, and which is a leadership consulting and career advancement company. She, as I said, was a former Deputy, Council, Deputy General Counsel of Time, Inc. And um, prior to time, she was the Deputy Director of the Federal Trade Commission, managing the Northeast Regional Office. She's also um, an author. She co-authored the book series Little Black Book of Success Laws for Black Women and she co-authored that with her long-term friends Elaine Brown and Marsha Haygood. Her books have taken her around the country to conduct leadership workshops and seminars and her book tour continues. She has numerous awards for her dedication with regards to women's rights, protecting victims of domestic violence and inclusive access she was received the Vision Award from the New York Women's Foundation in last year. She received the key to the city in her hometown in North Carolina, where she integrated the public schools in 1965 with two other young ladies. And in the fall of 2019, she delivered a keynote address for the New York Coalition of Women's Initiatives in Law. She's a graduate of Yale Law School and the past chair of Yale Law School Executive Committee. She is awesome. You're going to love her. I give you Rhonda McLean. So Rhonda, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on She's Got Drive. And thank you so much, Shirley, for having me. I'm excited about this interview. We met a few years ago now. And as soon as you were speaking, 
at a conference, the Black Women of Influence conference. And as soon as I heard you speak, I was like, oh, oh no, we need to absolutely be um, having more conversations. And I'm just so inspired by you and really the, the pioneering you. You know, there's so much that you have led that allows for other Black women and including myself to believe things are possible to kind of walk in the footsteps that you have left. I just really, I'm really just excited in, in so many ways about our conversation. Thank you so much, Shirley. I am delighted to be here. I'm inspired by you and your work. And I'm so grateful that you are documenting our lives at this important time in our history. Yeah. So why don't you sh- share with our listeners, give us a summary of about you, your work and how you came to be where you are. All right. Well, currently I'm the president and chief executive officer of my own leadership development company called RJM Leads. I launched the company last August, August of 2019, which seems a long time ago now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I've just been very excited about having the opportunity to help to refine uh, leadership development pipelines, particularly for the traditionally underserved. So women and people of color, people from other cultures, people from different communities who may not often think of themselves as leaders, uh, but are often playing that role in their own lives and the lives of others. So I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. My parents were public school music teachers, so I'm a musician as well. Spent a lot of my early life uh, as an educator. I thought I would be like my parents. I thought I might teach at the collegiate level. So I got a master's degree in education and also took some courses in management and leadership development. And during that time, became very active in community uh, affairs, very active in politics, in community organizing. And people who were working with me at that time, I was in my early 20s, suggested that I go to law school. And I resisted, but eventually did. (laughs) No. (laughs) And I'm so grateful that I did. I was 30 when I graduated from law school and have had nearly now a 38-year career in that field doing a lot of different things. But I have kept a a commitment to public service, Mm -hmm. a commitment to the arts, a commitment to creativity and uh, inclusion. Um, So my last legal job, which was the longest one I held, was being in-house counsel, deputy general counsel at Time, incorporated in New York. Time uh, was then the publisher of Mm -hmm. Time magazine, Fortune, Illustrated, Money, People, (laughs) and also importantly for me, Essence, uh, which became a, a dear client and friend for me over nearly 20 years. So I really loved having that opportunity to give them legal counsel and uh, make keep them out of trouble. Yeah. And then out of that work, um, I was also invited to sit on a number of boards. So I still sit on the board of uh, Union Theological Seminary, um, which is where Martin Luther King received his doctorate in divinity. So a very powerful incubator for social justice warriors. I've been in, active with the New York Women's Foundation for a number of years with the Black Women of Influence, which I admire greatly for the work they do for building leadership and creating sisterhood among Black entrepreneurs, and so forth and so on. So I felt that as I was retiring, and now the new word is rewiring, I learned, (laughs) AARP. So I am in rewirement. um, And my husband and I, he um, is trained as a nutritionist, nutritionist and pharmacist. So he's writing books about nutrition for multicultural communities. And I have written books about leadership with my two friends, Elaine Merrill Brown Mm -hmm. and Marsha Haygood. The first book was published 10 years ago, The Little Black Book of Success, Laws of Leadership for Black Women. Random House published it. And then uh, in 2017, we published a follow-up, which is called The Workbook because we went across the country, met with thousands of readers. And what they said is, you identified these 40 laws of leadership, but we need more help about how do we actually make things happen? How do we take over our own career trajectories? How do we stand up for ourselves when often we're in hostile work environments? Right. 
So so out of that work has come each of us, Elaine and Marsha and I, we still work together. We have our own company. We still speak on behalf of the books, but then individually we have our own projects and enterprises. And mine is leadership development, primarily for companies and uh, nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. Wow. There's so much (laughs) there. I mean, which direction do I go? I'm just like, you're a musician. It stood out to me. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Hold on. I need to hold up. Wait a minute. I want us to get to the conversation as well around black women and women of color and how they overcome some of those obstacles. I, a number of my clients are senior um, black women, you know, my coaching clients and in very different systems. Mm-hmm. And I see the commonalities. So it's, that's, that's the book that is waiting to be written maybe now's my time yes uh, <laughs> the musician what do you play like you said you're a, you're a musician and just give us a little flavor of that like what do you play and and how does that get expressed for you and then let's dig into the other stuff okay well thank you for that um i'm just fortunate i grew up in a family of musicians so i uh play all keyboards so piano and organ uh have been since i was a small girl and played for my mother who was both our church organist for 60 years. Wow. Yes, at the Baptist Church in North Carolina, and also played for her high school uh, chorales. So we did big, you know, we did, bye, 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 we did musical, like big musicals with orchestras. So um, I really was so busy playing. I studied piano for 16 years, all the way into college. I thought that that would be my work. But it's a lonely profession. You know, you really spend a lot of time in rehearsal rooms by yourself perfecting the the piece. And then you go off and perform it for someone. Although now technology, as we're seeing, is enabling us to do that differently. But anyway, I was also pretty social. So I really enjoyed my work in the community. So I moved away from that. I changed my major from piano to psychology. But I also sing. I'm a mezzo-soprano, but I didn't know I could sing because I was so busy playing for everybody else. (laughs) And finally, I don't know if mom needed someone. I don't know what happened, but I had the chance to sort of accidentally sing a solo and it was like, oh, not so bad. (laughs) So so I've been singing a long time and uh, sang in a chorale in New York, even during my legal careers for 20 years. Um, I love sacred music. I love sacred choral music. And uh, I now sing primarily for friends, for family weddings, things like that. Because like you, there's a lot happening. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But thank you for asking, because I don't get to talk about music as much as I might like. Well, I mean, does it beg the question, can I ask you to Give us a little rendition of something. Is it? Is there a little? Sure, yeah, sure. let's see. Well, anything, anything. All right. Well, this is a song that my mom taught me when I was quite small, and you may know it, you may not. I'm not going to sing all of it, but just a little bit. I think it's apropos of these times. It's called If I Can Help Somebody. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody she is traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. I'll stop there. That is beautiful. (laughs) Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you. Oh, such a gift. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so much. So rich. So it feels like actually, with that, I want to come to your like, you said at one point you were a community organizer, then you you know that work has got expressed in the work that you've done and the the way the boards that you sit on and and so on can you can you share a bit more about your commitment in that space and what is it that you what drives you in that what's your passion what's your focus in that yes well thank you i have had the great privilege 
of working for nearly 30 years with the New York Women's Foundation, which is a foundation organized and run for women by women. There are about 15,000 women's foundations across the United States and many more around the world. And this foundation is uh, an alliance of women from many different backgrounds, many different religious beliefs. And we come together to raise money to support small organizations, often funded by women at their kitchen tables, Mm -hmm. to address community issues. So domestic violence, leadership for girls in communities that may be restrictive about what's possible Mm -hmm. for girls, academic, you know, scholarship development, economic development, jobs, jobs. Many women who are in more restrictive cultures, even within New York, are not given the opportunity to get training. So they would love to work, but they don't know how they don't have skills. So we provide help to organizations that give them job training and economic security. Also health, which includes reproductive health, right to get the information you need to make the decisions that are right for you and your family. And the last area, which is an unusual one, is community organizing, which is rare that foundations support this concept or practice. But I'll give you an example. We were one of the first organizations to support domestic workers, most of whom were from other countries Mm -hmm. and had no rights. They had no money. They had no benefits. They were not getting minimum wage. So now have supported organizations that help them organize and get such rights in New York State. So a lot of unfortunate help is needed, and you're seeing it yourself now with people not being able to leave home. Domestic violence has shot up, so we are also supporting organizations that assist families of domestic and family violence, uh, victims, I'm sorry, right. of violence. So that's one big area of my life that I spent a lot of time on. I spent most of this morning uh, working on emergency fund fundraising online for, for that organization. The other would be the Union Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. And we are, have many students from other countries who are training to go back and be social justice warriors right. in their countries, but they can't leave now. So we have had to get special uh, dispensation from Columbia University with which we are affiliated mm-hmm. so that they can't remain in their dorms. They have no place to go. They can't go home. So, you know, they need they need support. Right. So I'm happy to say people have stepped up. We're, we're receiving funds, uh, people who, you know, are uncertain about their own futures uh, and their own jobs are giving. So so I'm grateful. I also belong to uh, the Lynx, which is a International Organization of Black Professional Women, and we raise money to support our communities as well, work in a number of areas. Uh, But one huge area that is important to me is the development of scholarship opportunities and STEM, opportunities for young Black women, particularly those who are in traditionally underserved communities to go into science and math as fields in engineering. So we're doing a multi-year project to work with students from all over the five boroughs of New York to connect them to engineers, to help them see Black women who are already successful, give them the opportunity to learn how to code, how to program, Mm -hmm. how to set up sites. Just uh, in February, we work with them and these students came to assist our seniors. We have thousands of seniors we work with. It was just heartwarming to see these 14, 15, and 16-year-old young sisters assisting people in their 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s with technology. How do you use a cell phone to make doctor's appointments? How can you avoid being a victim of financial fraud? Mm -hmm. How can you protect your data. So I'll stop there, but uh, you can tell I'm very passionate. About yes. This. Yeah. This again, this is so rich. I want to, because of these times we're in this, what I call the COVID-19 culture and all that it's bringing up. What are you seeing more about? What are you finding and what's the, that's led to the funding sources yeah. um, being created? And if some, and, and at some point I want you to share with our listeners, if someone wants to give where they where they can give as well because i'm interested in, in you doing that but if you help, help us because of course some of us are in situations in the home where you know the biggest issue that we have is maybe boredom maybe just spending a little bit more time than we'd normally do 
but some of the people are, are really in very compromising and vulnerable positions for various reasons and yes. yeah so let's spend some time like exploring that as well yeah well i appreciate your giving me the opportunity to share that we have uh, particularly women and children who may be relying on a person who for who may not be safe for them need food and support and we do excuse me, have some shelters uh, that are run by the Urban Resource Institute that uh, provide even, they are working to be able to provide social distancing so that if you must come out of your home to save your life and your child's live, lives, there is a way to do that and then yet still be safe from COVID-19. Right. We're all still learning about how to do this. And of course, um, there are many good causes, but I really think we want to save children's lives. We want to save women and some battered men as well. So we want to save anyone who feels unsafe. We also want to provide food and there are a number of wonderful church and pantries that are, in addition to the Food Bank of New York and others, we'll see this rising up of people who are just taking it upon themselves to help. There are, as you've seen online, because I'm in a home with a family and I have an 11-year-old grandson who who is bored out of his skull. (laughs) So he wants to play video games all day. And of course, his mother... And we, his grandparents, right. are trying to help with homeschooling. So his yeah. school is doing assignments. He's not so excited about them. But what we learned is that online, there are from Scholastic, from Discovery, from even from Disney, there are free curricula that you can download that give you a schedule for the day that is age appropriate or grade appropriate. Mm-hmm. So there are all kinds of wonderful things. In fact, so many that I'm finding, sometimes it's a little overwhelming. There's so much stuff and it's all online and you have to somehow sort through and find what is useful. So I think we're all still figuring out where online we can go to get the information we need. Yeah. The work that you're doing to support vulnerable children and, and women is so critical and anyone can be looking locally as well there might be some yes. local sort of places yes. that will, will require support at this time too but we'll, we'll definitely put the link to where people can contribute to your fund um to Thanks. the fundraising because it's critical work when you think about this time this historical mm-hmm. time and this very you know it's very ang- there's lots of anxiety around, lots of fear around, lots of concern. And, yes. then, and then there's, that's one end of the spectrum, which is very mm-hmm. real. And New York is going through a terrible, terrible time as de- as yes. Washington State did too. And and we've got Louisiana as well at this moment is is, is experiencing a particular uptake. So we have, and, and I also saw that statistically what we're seeing, certainly in, the, in Chicago is 80%, 70 to 80% of people who are dying are from, african-american or people of color communities is the other stat that's rising at this moment Mm -hmm. so how do you how are you making sense of this i can see that you're you're putting energy into a particular place as one place a couple of spaces Mm -hmm. in terms of well how else are you making sense of this time and what what's been your own personal kind of I could, I know that I've been on a roller coaster. So what's you've been? Your maybe maybe it's been a roller coaster for you too. Like help share with us what's your thoughts. Well, I certainly believe that we're all on a roller coaster. We're all seeking to find what the new normal will be. Mm -hmm. I don't think we know yet, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we're going to know for a while. And that's very frightening not to know what the new reality will be or where our place will be in it. So yes, like everyone else, I wake up around 3.30 every morning going, oh, okay, (laughs) what should I be doing now? And I try hard. I'm a faithful person. I'm a spiritual person. But I would certainly be dishonest if I didn't say that there have been moments, you know, I've had tears. I've had moments of worry. And my husband and I have prayed together. Um, I participate in a weekly prayer vigil at night where we pray locally for our own families, we play and then graduate it out to the world. It's just 15 minutes, but I did it last night at nine o'clock and I must say it calmed me down mm-hmm. and helped me be prepared for today because I've had like a day full of Zoom meetings uh, <laughs> and other meetings as I'm sure you have. Right. But I felt lifted by the fact that, um, you know, I do believe that where one or two people are, are gathered together in the force of good, 
that good things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the other other way I can make sense is I really do believe that we're supposed to learn something from all of this. I am grieving for so many lives lost and so many lives mm-hmm. in peril, but I worry that you know. I hope that we see what we're supposed to see. You know, why is this happening? We've been unkind to our climate. We've been unkind to each other. We um, have gotten wrapped up in uh, this definition of success and Mm -hmm. what a good life looks like. And we think you have to have a lot of things and you have to live in a certain place and you have to speak a certain language or be a certain color or have your hair a certain way. And we've gotten, I think, off track about, you know, the truth of what a good life well-lived looks like yeah 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 I'm curious as well about the the lessons at the different levels you know our own personal level lessons and our collective lesson and and that is I think you're right we we can't we can't know what that is going to be ultimately but I can see that I'm already starting to pay more attention Yes. In my home, you know, with the family, pay more attention to relationships in my life. You know, yes. when we're moving so fast. Yes. You know, there's people that I've, I spoke to one of my friends who I've known since we were in our 20s. So it's a long time because I'm in my 50s now. So mm-hmm. and we realized it had literally been like a couple of years since we had our conversation and now we've known each other for so long it really is like we pick it up and it's like it never the gap wasn't there but then it's like the gap doesn't need to be there yes yes so that was just like one example for me i think that's a really good example and as we look at you know therapists and uh, mental health specialists who are giving us advice online and LinkedIn and mm-hmm. on Facebook and all our social media platforms, Pinterest, and even in Instagram, I've seen a list of things that you should be doing for your mental health mm-hmm. during a time of crisis. And every single one of them starts with what you just did, which is reaching out and connecting right. in whatever way you can with people who are important to you, including especially people that perhaps you haven't been in touch with right. in so it's like the moment is now. So I too, I've talked to people from grade school, from high school, from law school, from college. Last Thursday, one of my cousins, I have 15 cousins in my generation. One of them had a big birthday and we just surprised him and did a Zoom meeting. So people were Zooming in from all over the country just to so say happy cousin. And it was wonderful. And in that same way, because unfortunately I've had people including people very close to me who've lost relatives and they can't have a funeral. So one of my friends hosted a Zoom prayer meeting with all of the people who were unable to come to the memorial service. So completely separate from the service, but on the same day that it was just the 10 people that that state would allow them to have a prayer vigil. So I'm grateful that the technology is giving us ways in our own brains and spirits Mm -hmm. and hearts are giving us ways to be more creative about how can we come together to fortify each other. I've been posting mama-isms from our book, which are, you know, things your mama told you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, your bubba, your grandma, your Sunday school teacher, your right. Girl Scout, or somebody who believed in you and loved you, uh, maybe before you were able to. And um, we, I've been posting uh, one of those every few days, and we're hearing from people that this is helpful. We just need to stay grounded, I think, during the time when it, things feel so chaotic and topsy-turvy. And I, too, you know, I listen to music. I say mm-hmm. prayers. I have an early morning meditation. And sometimes I just go out and walk our grandpup, whose name is Ollie. Um, <laughs> he weighs about six pounds, but he sounds like he weighs 600 pounds. <laughs> he does not. <laughs> but we go out walking because it's very beautiful here. The spring is, is here. Just to have some peace, you yeah. know. So I think you need to do what's right for you even as you also take this time to think about, you know, what is it that you want to do in your life? You know, what will success look like for you on the other side? Mm -hmm. You know, because I think it's shifting. Yeah. I think that definition may change for us. One of the things around you said the meditation and if people or prayer or the collective prayer to joining forces with others is very powerful and it may, and for people who, that isn't a calling for them in terms of that but even just sitting with in stillness with others 
is a way of calming us. It's a way of as like the energy that can resonate between us as we come together and spend some moments of um, being together. And I've been in meditation. I started that this weekend to a time where I knew that other people were meditating and it and it had this it did have a very common effect for me in a way that I wasn't necessarily experiencing that prior to starting that this weekend. One thing I'm doing is I'm sending out daily love notes and I think we're on day 21 or something because I as it started I was like what could what could I do? What can I give? What can I do that can make a difference? And I thought, I really feel like we just need love present. We need to be reminded of the love that we have in our life, the the love that we have for others, the love that we have for ourselves, the love that we have for our family. Every day, a daily love note comes into people's um, inbox. And I'm getting the most response I've ever gotten for anything that I've emailed out is the truth, you know, so people appreciating that. And I'm glad that it's having a, a, a positive effect that I'm, that I intended. Yeah, but I think that's an example, Shirley, of the very thing that I was referencing early that black women are at their best. And it's not like somebody else may not have had this idea or be doing it, but there's something to me, especially sisterly and warm and lovely about your sending out these love notes. You're touching people's lives in a personal way. It only takes a few minutes of your time, but it may lift someone in a way that you might not have otherwise known. And I think that we really are at our best when we think of creative ways to let people know that they are loved Mm -hmm. and important and supported. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's how we're going to make it through. Right. this time yeah yeah is it is it a way that you're capturing your journey through this time you know are you journaling anything are you like I'm just curious about that Yes. In our books, we have uh, a recommendation for something that we call a personal leadership notebook, which is more career focused. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that you uh, set goals for yourself and that you write in your journal every day. And I know both Elaine and Marsha, my co-authors, friends and and colleagues and business partners Mm -hmm. are very, very uh, fastidious about this. And I think Marsha has many years of journals that she's handwritten in every day. I want to be honest with you. I'm Rhonda Joy. I'm a Leo. I started out with every good intention, (laughs) writing in those ding dong journals. And after a while, girlfriend just stopped writing in the journals. (laughs) So I thought I have to walk my talk. I can't be going out here talking to people and being on the stage and then not walking my talk. Right. So I looked online and I found something called dailydiary.com. www.dailydiary.com. I've been using it for a number of years now. Uh And it is just online journaling. You can do it anywhere you like via any device that you have. You can transfer it from device to device. It is recorded. Um, You set the questions. They send you, once you sign up, it's free. Uh Once you sign up, it will offer you a list of questions that they suggest, but you can create your own questions, which I did. So every day a question comes into my email box at 4.30 and then another at 7 p.m. They're different questions. And then I do my best to answer them as they come in. Maybe I'm in a meeting. Maybe I can't do it. Maybe I'm cooking dinner, whatever. Right. But often late at night or when I wake up in my 3.30, oh my goodness, moment, that's a great time for me to then journal. So I have been using Daily Diary in a way both to look at my own life. Am I where I would like to be? Is there someone or something, you know, that I promised to think about or do something for? Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to prioritize that in a different way. Also, you know, am I at a point where I want to change, you know, what I'm doing? Maybe I'm I'm doing something that outwardly looks successful, but I'm not as happy as I thought I would be, mm-hmm. whatever. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying they're just like the way we're doing this interview and, you know, we're far away from each other, but having this very intimate exchange, um, I'm finding that technology can be very useful for people who want to journal, but don't want to write. Yeah. And, yeah. And then also what it does is it's, it, it's the prompting, you know, sometimes because we've all good intention, but if that journal is just staying by your bedside, because now it's just a piece of furniture and you're just walking yeah. past it. <laughs> right. 
like all of the other books that are stacked. Like, <laughs> that's, that I that is so like... That's what my, even in, in here where I'm just visiting, I have a sack of books <laughs> with me. One other thing I would mention that I like about Daily Diary is that it will, within at least six months to a year, begin to spit back to you. It's, you know, like, Last year, surely, this is what you said on this day. And this is what you said you would be changing or starting oh. our now. So I really like that. And of course, you can shut it off. I mean, you don't, you don't sure. want to drive yourself crazy. But I have to say, it's the one thing I've been able to consistently do that as I go out now to speak about leadership um, and the various ways you can keep um, a notebook, and particularly in this time, which, as you say, you know, this is unprecedented. No one's seen anything like this in our lifetime. My mom is going to be 94 in a few weeks, and I talk to her every day. She's in North Carolina, and um, she and I talk about, you know, what she has seen, which is so much more than than I have, and I'm in my 60s. Um, but what I love about her is she has sort of a childlike face. Um, she's certainly aware that there are dangers and mm-hmm. she's, you know, following the precautions and we have someone helping her who's wonderful. But um, she also has a different view, having come through two world wars, the Korean War. She was born during Depression, um, you know, through the time of polio, through and one of her sisters had sickle cell anemia before it had a name. So they thought she had yellow fever. They didn't know what was wrong with her. So all these things wow. that she's so I find that it's helpful to talk with her sometimes mm. just to get perspective on what we're experiencing. Yeah, that's that's an incredible gift to have her wisdom mm-hmm. and be yes. able to lean on that wisdom and that faith that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the other, you know, I I think that the finding ways, even the, the, the opportunities for us to pause, reflect, and process what's happening day by day and you know I've talked about I've done a couple of previous episodes which is about us tuning in checking in each day on how am I doing how am I doing and as I check in then the answer then what do I need um and then you know so that's one of the practices that I've started for myself and because otherwise there's a worry well that you can fall into and keep and keep going um coming down I'm curious I want to come back to the kind of the the one of the things you were saying is that we might start to um review our notion of success and what does it mean and yes. um because this podcast is uh, we you know one of the things I'm uh, at the center of this is how how do we facilitate our success as black women and mm-hmm. What does that mean anyway? And how do we facilitate it when we have environments which don't necessarily pull for our success? So that's where it's, this started, this, this podcast started for me because I knew that women were, some women were making it, whether mm-hmm. making it in brackets, you know, in terms of the traditional notions of making it. And, and many weren't. And it wasn't because they didn't want to. It's not because they yes. had, didn't have the talent. So what is it about women who have been successful? What are they doing that they're doing differently? And how do we define success? And really through this podcast, many women are defining it for them. You know, we understand it. it, it the definition of success is broad. Yes. So what's, what, what is it for you? And how do mm. we, and what's, what may be shifting for you in this as a result of COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the reasons that Elaine and Marsha and I wrote the book we did is that in 2007, we had already been working a long time. I mean, each of the three of us were working in corporate America, high-level executives, very different fields. We didn't work in the same companies, but we came together as part of a support group for Black women executives, um, just so you'd have somebody to talk to about the very questions that you address in your podcast, you know, um, we were in supervisory positions. Many of us were first and only black women or women or both in our companies Mm -hmm. or in our division within our companies. And, you know, things happen. And, um, if you're not careful, you can become, uh, very, um, offended by every little thing. Mm -hmm. You can take up a lot of your own spiritual energy Mm -hmm. with being defensive or intimidated or angry. And, you know, that whole, you know, 
uh, uh, label many of us have been given of being angry black right. women. We're just trying to assert ourselves with knowledge that we know we have, which we know would be useful if only we could be heard. Right. Um, so we wrote the book. Uh, we began writing in 2007 because Elaine, who was at HBO and a very, very talented creative programmer there, um, felt that you know, she went for some leadership training, came back and felt like she needed to start this network of, of black women. We started meeting uh, quarterly. We called it Girls Night Out. We met for years, many, many years um, and invited a few other women. And really, it was a place where it was a safe space. Literally, we mm -hmm. called it under the cone of silence. You could threaten to murder your husband. <laughs> you could talk about your kids. Mm -hmm. You could talk about if you had a boss or a direct right. report who was just acting crazy, saying racist, inappropriate, misogynistic things. Right. You could, you know, plot for their demise. Mm -hmm. But what? you needed to do to just sort of vent in a safe way, mm -hmm. not worried that it would get back to anybody, just to sort of release your own stress and then begin to strategize, what could I do? How can I right. address this right. in a way that denotes the leadership title you know, that I, that I have? And I actually, because I came from a Southern Baptist, ladies don't talk about certain things background, mm -hmm. I had a very hard time about money, very hard time asking for the salary I thought I deserved watching people around me who didn't have as much training or experiences, I have get paid more. And I thought, okay, I've got to do better. But I practiced with these ladies. I actually did a role of my negotiating session, salary negotiating session with these ladies before I went in to ask a raise, which I'm happy to say I eventually got as well as a promotion. It didn't happen overnight, but these are the things I think that um, we can do for each other. Um, right. We can really help each other be, as you say, we look at ourselves because I want to be honest, there's a piece of the book that talks about self-sabotage. You know, yep. sometimes our own fears and doubts and insecurities get in the way. And that's normal. There's no need to, you know, denigrate yourself. We say a lot about taking care of yourself, treating yourself as a VIP. But the truth is, uh, you shouldn't ask for feedback, you know, if you're not ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. And incorporated into making you a better you. So I think that um, the book forced the three of us to really think about, you know, what is success? And for me, success is being able to use the gifts you have in a way that is beneficial for you and others in the setting that you find yourself. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of people say you ought to love going to work every day. I don't know about that. I don't love going to work every day, even now. I love talking to you, but I'm tired. I've been on the phone all day, you know? But I think the reality is if you can appreciate where you are, right. if you can respect yourself and the work that you're doing, if you can command the respect that you get from others, right. I do think you should be paid what you're worth. I really believe in that. But for me, I have a fairly, you know, simple view of success because I think it then flows throughout the, your life. I think it's not just what you do mm -hmm. that you get paid for that makes you success. It's how, how are you living your life? Um, I've seen people work themselves into the ground, make a lot of money, have a lot of material things. And as soon as they no longer have the title, you know, once they retire, mm -hmm. some of them get sick and have strokes or heart attack because they, they don't have a way to define themselves right. and they have nothing else. I really do think of success as being a rich, as you, you I love your word, a, a rich and enriching and, and sort of multifaceted mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. not just what you do for a living. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If we think about how you were then creating your whole life and, and making sure that, so there with the success in, in work, but then as you said, keeping your attention more broadly, What's the thing that drives drive you or what's the thing that motivates you to keep creating the life that you want? Well, I would have to start with my uh, my childhood experience. My parents grew up in the north. My mom was born in Buffalo, New York, my dad in Chicago. So even though they were both depression children, they grew up uh, in places where 
they were really encouraged to go as far as they could okay. uh, by their families and by their communities. And they they both lived in pretty much black communities, but went to integrated schools. Mm-hmm. And so they did see that. So they then were recruited south during the Jim Crow time in the 50s. I was six weeks old when they moved to North Carolina. And they lived in a place where the Ku Klux Klan was quite active. And there were very, very clear divisions between black and white uh, oh. Well, that was not what their lives had been like. So mm-hmm. my brother, Jack, my younger brother and I, the only two children they had, we were raised to believe that there could be interracial harmony because they had experienced it. And then every summer when most people were sending their children south to grandparents who lived in the south, mm-hmm. our grandparents lived in Chicago and Buffalo. So we went up, we went north <laughs> for the summer. And then from Buffalo, we would go to Canada. Right. So as a young child, I went to Toronto, to all these places where I found that it didn't really matter what color you were or how old you were, because I asked a lot of questions very young and was always in trouble for asking too many questions (laughs) too soon and talking too fast. But I'm just grateful that my parents sacrificed so that we could see more than one way to live. Because then when I was 12 years old, there was the opportunity finally after Brown v. Board had been in mm-hmm. place for a number of years. Nothing had changed in North Carolina. They just didn't want to be bothered. So they didn't comply. But finally, at the end of my um, eighth grade, um, I was 12, we were given the opportunity to choose the high schools we would attend. Mm-hmm. My parents and I sat at our kitchen table and I then integrated the high school in my town with a sheriff with a gun with two other girls who were still dear friends, Jacqueline. Wow. So each of us, the families made the decision separately. I didn't know they were going to be there. They didn't know I was going to be there mm-hmm. until August of 1965 when we stood on the sidewalk. All the students were outside with, you know, signs that said, we don't want you here and a lot of uglier things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say that moment was pivotal for me. What I saw is that even though we were little girls, I was then I turned 13 that summer. So I was 13. My two friends were 14. There was just such hostility. And I thought, well, they don't even know us. Like, how can they hate us this much? They don't know anything about us. So fortunately, there were some students and teachers who crossed the divide to try to be fair, try to be friends. Our principal was not a nice man. He really hated our being there. And was that's why the sheriff was there, was basically to force that, you know, the law be uh, complied with. Right. And it was. Um, But we learned a lot. So here are two things. The first thing I learned is that sometimes you really have to stand on your own alone in the face of irrationality Mm -hmm. and um, insanity. I mean, you just have to do it. It's scary. Your stomach hurts. (laughs) But there you have it. There's nobody else. So you have to rely on you and your faith or whatever you have inside you that makes you strong. You have to rely on that. And yet right beside it is yeah, there has to be a time to know when to collaborate, when to ask for help. Mm. Be good at writing history, a lot of anything having to do with writing history, psychology, grammar, syntax, uh, the arts, all of that. I loved all of the subjects, but I really could write very well. My friend Jackie was a financial wizard, just anything with numbers she could do. And Pat was the scientist. So the three of us studied really, literally, almost every night at someone's home so that we could put our best foot forward because we felt we can't fight anybody. We're just three little girls. We can't, we don't want to fight anybody, although they threatened to hurt us. Mm -hmm. But uh, the best weapon we have in this civil rights struggle is our academic prowess. Mm. It show that black girls are smart, that we are thoughtful, we're analytical, we can outline, we can research with the best of them, we can do those, you know, do that physics, do that stuff. So we all worked hard. And throughout those four years, we helped each other in every way. And we all did well. We all went on to have, you know, stellar careers. And we've remained up. So those two things, standing alone, believing in yourself when all around you, there are people who may say, you really don't deserve to be here. But if you know that you do, then you stand as if you do. And often you can command respect from people when you might not be sure that you could, you can. And then secondly, which I must confess I had a harder time with, was remembering that you certainly should ask for help uh, when you need it and to receive it. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing about that. That's it's just so pivotal. I can see how 
that was a moment in your life that was would transform and you after that you know and during that that whole period and Mm -hmm. and thank you for being willing to stand in that place so that others were able to follow you you know I started off in the beginning speaking to you as a pioneer and I didn't even know that part of you but it started (laughs) from a very early age Yes, and I'm grateful to my family because they, again, like many of us, mm-hmm. gave me the foundation, you know, to be able to to do it. Um, and I think each of us, because we're in touch, I actually just talked to Jackie the other day, her children are my godchildren, and they now are married with children of their <laughs> own. Uh, but we do talk about how blessed we were to have families who, you know, gave us spiritual principles um, gave us those mama-isms that are in our book. Um, Elaine and Marcia, too, have the mm-hmm. same background that I do. Strong families, whether there were two parents, one parent, grandmother, great aunt, whoever was raising mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. you know, instilled in us this belief that we could do, you know, whatever we chose to do. Right. Still right. believe that now. And in this time of uncertainty, because when I look at our ancestors, look at our parents, your parents, our grandparents, look at what they came through. Exactly. It may not have looked like COVID-19, but it was pretty, pretty oh, yes. crazy yeah. and irrational and insane. And yet they gave birth to us and gave us hope. Yeah. And then here we are. So I think we have no choice but to live through this, look for the positives, look for ways right. that we can learn and then share that with others. Yeah. I love, thank you for sharing your mummerism because that's used, well, also one of the questions that I asked, what did mama used to say to you? Because <laughs> it's, um, and it came out of really, I mean, I unfortunately lost my mum a couple of years ago. And oh. it's, then you, I remember more of the lesson. You know, I, it's so interesting as she's at this stage where I think about, or when I'm doing something and I think that was mum who as I got that from mum you know yes. um my kids joke because I've started to use a lot of like hot pepper sauce on my food <laughs> so, <laughs> and right like almost on every meal mum they're like you're turning into your mum you know that and I'm like yeah, I know that's so crazy <laughs> um I I wanna one of the questions that I ask my guests is um and you've just shared something so I wonder if this is it but I'm gonna still ask the question is I ask about what has been their most courageous moment in their life. And that's come out of, again, of my mum's experience. You know, she taught me a lot about courage. Respond. Well, certainly the, the 1965, the decision at our kitchen table <laughs> to, to integrate this school, I didn't think of it as courageous because I really just wanted to go to a school that wasn't four miles away, you know, in <laughs> logistically, this was the school and we knew that they were spending more money on those schools than on, you know, other schools. So I knew I wanted to go to college. My mom had been the first of five and the first in her family to go. And she helped her sisters and brothers to go. So it was understood that my brother and I would go. um, But we also knew we needed to have really good, you know, coursework in Mm -hmm. high school. But I would say that that experience throughout, you know, I did a lot of other things, worked a long time. But I have to say the next courageous thing was making the decision to apply to Yale Law School when I was, you know, in my late 20s. I'd already worked. I really had thought I was on one path. And then to pivot and make this decision to pursue a completely different career. Uh, and at that time, there was no one in my family um, who was a lawyer. We now have six <laughs> in the family. But I'm a older grandchildren. So this was scary stuff. And um, and I remember I, I cried a lot after I submitted my uh, application because I thought, well, if I get in, what will I do? But if I don't get in, what will I do? <laughs> uh, so thank God I got in and then they gave money. And I remember my parents uh, and uh, 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 me uh, driving up I-95 with a U-Haul little truck behind us. And that was just the beginning of such a whole new wonderful phase of of my life and um i'm very grateful for for everything and i've had bumps in the road and you know lost jobs and been laid off and come through times not as momentous as this time but certainly that were scary mm-hmm. and uh, i always felt like i could make it through and and somehow um you know we always made it through with faith and one of my my mama ism that's uh, not i don't think it's in the book 
But what my mama and I, um, I talk to her every day. Uh, it's one of the things she taught me is you don't just pray. You know, there, there are people who all the time who say pray and I'm not against prayer. I am a praying person, but you got to move your feet. Yes. So not just pray, but move your feet. <laughs> so we say that to each other now every, every night and we'll just laugh. But I think this is a time. Yeah. You have to be mindful, prayerful, meditative. You have to calm yourself. But you also need to be thinking about, you know, what can I do? Yeah. What can I do? So I'm, I'm happy to, to still be trying to do that, even at uh, 67 and a half. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And thank you for being, being that person who, that woman who's praying and moving her feet because there's a lot to accomplish there's a lot for you to keep giving and and you continue to give so beautifully and so generously and graciously yeah so I'm gonna got one more question before we kind of move to close and I'm enjoying this conversation so much I normally ask this question about your younger self but actually I'm not gonna ask that question I'm gonna ask you something else okay because in this time if you had to share, give three things that people could do. I know you said about moving, making a move. Three things, three pieces of advice from your, if you look inside your own wisdom, what would it be? Okay. To end this uh, well, I am, uh, I too have been enjoying our conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me to commune with you in this way. Um, I hope it's helpful. I really do think that for me, um, the gifts that I would share that I think people may already have already have but may not have tuned into. The first is faith, and I'm thinking beyond any particular denominational mm-hmm. faith. I mean more of an inner certainty about yourself, your right to be in this world, your right to live out your life, your right to be all that you can be, mm-hmm. um, to use a trite phrase. But I really do believe in it. So faith in yourself in others, in sort of the common good, the betterment of mankind, uh, family, and whatever that means to you. I have a lot of friends who are single. I was single myself for, you know, over 60 years. I just got married at the age of 64. So I'm a first-time bride. I've been married two and a half years, almost. So it's never too late. But if that's what you want to do, not everybody has to do that. Mm -hmm. So Emily, I'm not meaning it in terms of blood. I mean, however you define it, a circle of people who believe in you and love you, I just think is important for everyone, even introverts and quiet, you know, however you define family, there has to be fire. There has to be compassion, mission, a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. I try to have a purpose-filled life. I don't know what that means for people who are, who are listening, but I do hope that there's something inside that inspires you want to do whatever it is that you wish to do. And I think it's uh, there's no shame in seeking help. I should say that I have uh, been in therapy, that I have been treated for depression. I don't want anybody to think that this has just been easy. I've just been rolling along, just bubbling along, happy, happy, happy all the time. Life happens and life hurts and you know you learn from the bumps in the road. But I do think that this faith, family, and fire or passion or purpose mm-hmm. what I would share. Thank you so much. <laughs> I loved all of those. <laughs> Thank you. I loved all of this and I really appreciate you sharing that that you have gone through your challenges as well along the way. And because I think the other thing is when people look at others or hear the stories or hear where you've got to or hear what you accomplish, they imagine a life that felt like an upwards trajectory the whole time but life as you said gives us a particular journey that we are all on individually and sometimes there are things that come at us or get thrown in our path that we didn't even anticipate or didn't know or we find ourselves in places that we didn't intend but you can always find your way out and through those three pieces of advice I think are are fabulous fabulous (laughs) fabulous um so thank you so much for your time thank Thank you so much for your gifts and for your leadership in this moment and all this time that you've been leading us i um yeah deep appreciation to you thank you my dear thank you 
I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. I am moved by the work that Rhonda is doing to and has done around domestic violence and particularly in this moment. We know that there are many people who are at stay at the stay at home order has increased their vulnerability and are struggling right now and um we we the fact that she is doing something about it and i urge you to go to the link in my show notes and donate to the money raising money for people women and predominantly women of course and, and children but sometimes there are men who are faced with domestic abuse and are in need of shelter and in need of help so go to the link in my show notes to um donate there and i really appreciate and love Rhonda for all that she's done and all the work that she's given and all the wise words that she's given in this interview today so thank you thank you thank you Rhonda. um you know i love to hear from you what are you getting from the podcast what are you taking on? What are you, what are you, what questions do you have that you would perhaps want me to address in the podcast as well? You know, so you can reach out to me and you can contact me on my Instagram account at Shirley McAlpine. You could go to shirleymcalpine.com forward slash contact me and you can email me via that. Or you could go to the She's Got Drive Facebook page and join the community. Or you can just send me a message there and I'll pick up a message there through the Facebook page. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, please go well and stay well.